oftentimes, Neville, when we feel there, there, we, we're taught that there are certain emotions that they're okay to feel and mm-hmm. certain emotions that are less okay to feel. And that is not, you know, as you said, healthy. That is, that is not a pathway to health. And so one of the first things that I want to encourage adults, and this actually applies to, to youth as well, but mm-hmm. to adults is that we, again, we're in the midst of a number of different uh, tragic uh, moments right now in our, in our history Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in, in the history of, of this nation, of this of this broader global context. And so if you feel angry, if you feel sad, if you feel distraught, if you feel hopeless, helpless, any of those emotions, all of those things are valid. And so it is important to, in order to, to, to heal, we, have, we can't heal what we don't acknowledge, right? And so it's important to first and foremost recognize and hold space to say, hey, you know, I'm angry about this and that's okay. Or I'm really scared because I don't know what's going to happen outside my door or I don't know what's going to happen even when this country or another country, when it opens back up. I don't know what the new normal is going to look like. I don't know what, uh, I'm scared about those things. It, it's important to be able to really speak truthfully about how we're feeling about things. Hello and welcome to The Journey, your radio show, hosted by Neville D'Angelo, author of A Soundbite Life and Flight of the Fused Monkeys, a PRG Emerging Technologies Forum keynote speaker and founder of Rio Sports. I am Joseph Ellison. Enjoy! My guest is Dr. Sean Jones, Assistant Professor, Counseling Psychology at Virginia Commonwealth University. Dr. Jones's long list of publications and awards highlight expertise in black youth and family psychosocial well-being, racism-related stress and coping processes, racial ethnic protective factors, and couples therapy. It is hardly lost on any of us the magnitude and weight of the traumas with which our globe is currently inflicted. A pandemic with all of its uncertainties, its impact on health and well-being, on work and economy, on relationships and lifestyle. The brutality of endemic racism and economic inequities the crazed callousness of infectious hatred. Uh, These all call for more than reflection, for more than spittoons to capture her old emotions. I'm advised that they require deep work and there is a need for healing. It is towards this latter that I have invited Dr. Sean Jones and I will place before him Four requests. I must say, he is a brave fellow. We need folks like him. Along the journey, we stop at intriguing places and meet fascinating people with novel solutions to some of life's tricky questions. And we play a few games and track the remarkable characters of three classic books, A Soundbite Life, Flight of the Fused Monkeys, and Illicet, A Time to Begin Again, all of which can be found on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. In a moment, we will meet Dr. Sean Jones. I will request of him to address, one, the impact of the pandemonium on our mental health, along with some guidance. Two, the exacerbation of racism and related stress on our well-being. Three, patterns of healthy interactions between parents and children in times like these. And four, healthy routines to boost our mental strength.
Well, hello, Dr. Jones. I'm glad to have you on our show. How are you today? I am doing so very well, Neville. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be able to have the opportunity to talk today. Well, your expertise is something that we value generally and particularly even now. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely, absolutely. So I am currently an assistant professor of counseling psychology at Virginia Commonwealth University that's located in Richmond, Virginia in the United States. Mm -hmm. I am trained as a child and family clinical psychologist, and I also have a background in public health. Mm. Um, so that's a little bit about me um, in terms of my research, and then I'll, if you have any other follow-ups, please feel free to ask, but my research really focuses on looking at the intersection between um, racism-related stress and mental health and coping uh, for Black youth and families. So you are the perfect person <laughs> for our show today. We're so glad that, <laughs> that you're here. But I'm going to start. I have four questions for you. And okay. I'm going to start, um, of course, with the pandemic, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, you know, yeah. it's put our whole globe uh, on the stress. And um, yeah. uh, many of us, if we are not experiencing it, we are fearful that it's going to cause, have a great impact on our mental health. So can you give us a, a solid understanding of what is mental health? And then um, talk to us about the impact uh, of um, the current climate on our mental health. Sure, absolutely. So first of all, you know, that's a, that's a, a really great question. And, and before I answer, I just want to take a moment to send my best to all of those who have experienced or currently experiencing uh, or getting over, getting through or related to someone who is um, experienced this current uh, global pandemic uh, related to COVID-19. Certainly, you know, we, we have learned over these past couple of months about the impact that that has on one's physical health and one, you know, respiratory system. Uh, but we also know a couple of things, Neville. So first of all, we know that there's a connection between uh, physical illness and, and, and mental health. And by mental health, we're talking about things like our emotional health, how, how, what kind of emotions we feel. Are we feeling sad? Are we feeling anxious, right? We, we can think about our cognitive health. So things like our thought life, are we having constant worries? Are we constantly thinking about whether or not we're going to catch or get this uh, horrible disease, mm -hmm. right? As well as our behavioral health, right? So the ways in which we act and the things that we do or don't do. Um, and so we know that the illness itself uh, can, you know, make folks feel distraught, feel sad. Um, we know that there can be grief, you know, associated with those who may have had someone uh, pass away from the disease. Mm -hmm. And we also know that the quarantine itself and, and these kind of stay at home restrictions that have been placed throughout uh, the United States and throughout the world, frankly, also become a fertile ground for us to really have to wrestle with things like being isolated, mm -hmm. um, right? Being constantly exposed to troubling information that can make us anxious, um, right? And so for those of us who may already have an underlying um, predisposition to worry or we previously have battled being sad or being depressed, this time can also be particularly challenging if we're not able to engage with our like typical coping skills that we might use if we were able to go outside and be around everyone we wanted to. So there are multiple ways in which uh, mental health and, and kind of COVID-19 really intersect. Mm -hmm. Now, do you, do you have any, any suggestions as how we can... I know that, for example, in the U.S. Uh, right now, things, I don't know if it's easing or, um, mm -hmm. they, uh, you know, if, whether we've peaked or, we're, or we've just flattened the curve. But what can people mm -hmm. be doing, would you say, to ease that, the pain? <laughs> 
Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I, I think that there are a number of things that, that folks can do. So I think one of one of the things, Neville, that happens, this is a stressful time. Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the first things that's important to do is to acknowledge that we, you know, oftentimes the word unprecedented, global pandemic, sometimes it's hard to really put that into words, but it's important that we continue to understand that for many of us, right, the, the last comparable thing many health experts say on a national stage was the Spanish, you know, influenza um, in the early, you know, 1900s. Mm-hmm. So for most people living, this is an unprecedented time. It is a stressful time. Mm-hmm. And so acknowledging that it is stressful, we can begin to think about, well, what do I typically do? What are the my typical go-tos, my typical resources for coping when I'm stressed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll use a personal example. For me, right, uh, something that I really enjoy to do to help me cope, I, I enjoy engaging in some sort of um, physical activity, some sort of exercise, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there, you know, there are a lot of great benefits between kind of brain-body connection, which I'm sure you know about in right. terms of being able to both kind of release certain um, stress hormones in the context of working out, you know, feeling better, right? Um, kind of having endorphins that, that kick up when we're able to engage in that way. And so, yes, we, you know, we previously may have not been able to um, go to certain gyms, but there are, are there still ways that we could be physically active or fit? And as the curve flattens and some of these restrictions lift, mm-hmm. obviously we'll have to do those things safely and following those guidelines, mm-hmm. but not abandoning those coping skills that we know tend to help us feel better, right? So eating healthy, working out, um, socially connecting with folks, right? I've had, I don't know how many Zoom catch-ups or hangouts mm-hmm. or phone calls, mm-hmm. even if I can't physically hang out with my family and friends, I know it's important for me to still have that social connection so I don't feel isolated, mm-hmm. right? And so making sure, thinking about, we might have to use a little bit of creativity, but making sure that we continue to access our toolkit of re- uh, coping resources is a, is something I think would be a big help for us now and as we hopefully ease into um, kind of returning to, an, 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 I guess, a new normal, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it will be a new normal. Okay, we will be right back with Dr. Jones with a question about racism. We'll be right back. You are on the journey. The journey's platform is The Journey. Dot riosports.com. The journey is one word, and Riosports is spelled R Y O S P O R T S dot com. The journey dot Riosports dot com. There you'll find resources readily available free to you. You're welcome to check out our shows and select the segment Mental and Emotional Well Being. The journey. Dot Riosports dot com. I am back with uh, Dr. Sean Jones. Uh, do- Dr. Racism is an open wound in the U- U.S., of course. Uh, and of course, not only in the U.S., uh, it's, uh, we're not the only nation that is inflicted by this. Uh, talk to us, uh, please, about the exacerbation of racism and race-related stress on mental health and our well-being. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, you know, I think I was watching the news program the other uh, evening, and um, I was struck by one of the, the the headlines that read on the screen, which is which stated that. Uh, the United States is facing two great pandemics, COVID-19 and racism. 
And um, seeing that, I, I thought, wow, that is so, so poignant and so very, very real because in the midst of what we talked about during, you know, our first segment together, all of these, un- we're dealing with this unprecedented and unknown um, virus pandemic, uh, this debilitating disease, and unfortunately in, in the United States in this country, we are also dealing with a virus and a disease that we are all too familiar with but have not been able in 400 years plus to eradicate. Mm-hmm. And, and and that is racism in its many forms. And so, you know, as a scholar who studies, you know, racism, racial discrimination, uh, race-based traumatic stress, we know that those experiences run roughshod they they completely have the propensity to debilitate to exhaust our resources i talked before about stress and coping Mm. right so if we think about racism as this chronic chronic stressor that operates on so many levels it taxes in any individual's opportunity or ability to cope right and so you know, suddenly the jog is not enough. The healthy meal might not be enough. The laughter with friends might not be enough. The prayer may not be enough, right? All of these things are very important. But if we're inundated constantly with images and experiences and microaggressions and slights and racial epithets, right? Mm-hmm. And seeing individuals' lives taken away on camera, right? All of these things zap at our our feelings of being hopeful, right? So mm-hmm. we, we talk about hopelessness that emerges, mm-hmm. helplessness that emerges. Mm-hmm. We talk about righteous anger that mm-hmm. emerges. A lot of the emotional health that I talked about initially comes to mind when we're thinking about the ways in which racism can impact our mental health. So it can impact us in, internally, right? Like mm-hmm. um, in terms of how we feel about ourselves, mm-hmm. it can cause us to uh, manifest that stress in an external way, right? So it may lead us to throw a brick through a window or yell at our neighbor or coworker for calling us a name or for saying that we sound a cer- certain way. Right. And we also you didn't ask me about this, but we also know that that racism gets into into the skin, as as some scholars have talked about. It gets into our bodies and also, right, Mm -hmm. is associated with a number of negative physical health ailments. So it's kind of this 360 double edged sword or triple edged Mm -hmm. sword, so to speak, when Mm -hmm. we're talking about racism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Right. Uh, you, You put a number of things in perspective for me when you put it you you mentioned this thri-pronged impact on the mind and the body um i never had looked at it that way obviously experienced all the stuff that you're talking about uh do you i know this is not a fair question but i'll put it to you anyway what can we do (laughs) (laughs) oh gosh uh so I, I I am mindful in the the that moment of, of what I just did, that sign, that exhalation is mm-hmm. not actually lost on me in this moment, Neville, because mm-hmm. we have many individuals in the fifty states that represent the United States of America and across the world who are uh, currently uh, as of the recording of this, right, in the throes of protest because many of them witnessed or heard about or saw with their own eyes that for nearly nine minutes, the ability to do what I just did, to mm-hmm. take a breath, mm-hmm. was literally taken away from a black man by the name of George Floyd. Mm-hmm. So when well, the first thing that comes to mind, besides, wow, what a big task, mm-hmm. is to breathe, mm-hmm. right? To, to, to breathe is, 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 is an act of resistance. It is a... It is a big thing that we can do, mm-hmm. right, is to first remember, for those of us who are directly directly in our, due to the color of our skin or ethnicity, 
directly dealing with this racism, we have to remember to breathe, right? Mm -hmm. That's one. That's one thing that first comes to mind, right? The second thing that comes to mind, honestly, uh, since you asked a big question, I'm going to try to give you a a, a big answer and and not be too hard on you every time. (laughs) But, you know, the question of what do we do Mm-hmm. My response to that is who who are the we that uh, we're referring to? Yes, uh, <laughs> because the, depending on depending on you know the, what we know and what what we've seen, unfortunately, throughout the writing of this country's history, is that part of part of the system of racism comes from. You know, we're talking about we, but a lot of, a lot of what we're seeing comes from this this othering, this us versus them, this lack of seeing a common humanity. And so when I think about what we can do, mm-hmm. it, it, it behooves those of us who either through our own direct, uh, and I don't mean this in, in a religious way, but through our own direct sins or through the sins of our forefathers <laughs> have not uh, consistently seen everyone in this country as human, mm-hmm. we have to do the work to admit that we have played a part in that. We have to do the work to change that narrative of seeing other people as less than, as inferior, as not human, Mm. right? Again, calling back to the incident with Brother Floyd in Minneapolis, only to me, right? The only way that I can justify what I saw with my eyes, because I did watch it, is wow, this individual, these individuals must not have viewed this person as a full person because if you did view that person in that way, then you would not snuff out their life, right? And Mm -hmm. so that's a big thing. We have to be able to recognize and see the humanity in each person and when we are doing that we also have to be careful that we don't erase the individual things that make folks special in that humanity right and so what am i speaking to there i'm speaking to sometimes there is a desire to want to sing kumbaya and have a what is referred to as a colorblind ideology a notion that we are all just the same and the reality again, that bears out in the history of this world and specifically in the United States is that it is very clear that we are not, we are all human, but we are not all the same, right? right? So we want equity, we want equality, but the idea that we don't see race or don't see color also is problematic. So we have to open up our eyes to those differences and learn to respect those differences. And for the folks under the sound of my voice, uh, I am an African-American psychologist. So the folks under my, the sound of my voice who share that identity and other communities of color, we have to continue to, to resist in all the ways and also to make sure that we are prioritizing both our mental, mental and physical well-being, right? So we have to continue to reach for and engage across our coping mechanisms. We have to continue to take care of our physical uh, bodies when we know that our, the value of our bodies is sometimes less than our, our, our peers, it seems, right? We have to continue to do that work as well. So it's a big question because the answer to that question depends on who is defined as we. Right. Yes. Um, so I, hopefully that was at least a partially satisfactory answer. No, that's more satisfactory. I recognize, of course, that this is a very big topic that we are all in the middle of. And there's no way in a few minutes <laughs> we could have. Um, but I appreciate at least that you're putting uh, you were able to impactfully uh, state uh, the issue as it is, as we are seeking to. For resolution, I know not everyone wants a resolution to it, but certainly um, sure. I I uh, want to. I know people. That, let me let me do one more follow up question, if you don't mind, on this very thing. Sure. Uh, yeah. w- we all know that awareness 
is um, an issue. I, I'm just hesitating myself uh, to make sure that. <laughs> um, uh, so we, communication is absolutely necessary. I know that we um, that that is a part of, in my mind, a very small part, necessary, essential part of it. But how much in danger are we of just talking? Just talking and leaving it there. Wow. Yeah, that, that's a really, really good, that's a really, really good question. And, and I'm reminded, and I'm going to paraphrase a bit, uh, but I'm reminded of a, a quote from uh, Malcolm X. And I know that uh, Malcolm X was a, for many folks, perhaps a controversial figure, but there, there is a, a quote associated with Malcolm X uh, wherein he talks about this notion that if you stick a knife in <laughs> my back, right, mm -hmm. uh, six inches and you only pull it out three, that's not progress. And mm -hmm. so when I think about the notion of talking, mm -hmm. right, and, and stopping there, that is the image that often comes to my mind because it is not, it is not ultimately sufficient, right? And so... I appreciate you asking this follow-up question because lest I be misconstrued, I do think that it is important for us or for those of us who have certain privileges, um, are, are afforded certain privilege, um, benefit from a system of, of oppression, perhaps uh, that disproportionately affects uh, marginalized communities, people of color, that we... Um, that, that we recognize that privilege, but then what do we do with that? And so that's why in our current hour, you are seeing or hopefully seeing, and if you haven't, I invite you to search and look up this notion of anti-racism, mm. right? Because it is because anti-racism says it is not enough to say mea culpa. It is not enough to say, oh my goodness, this is so terrible. But the next step to true reconciliation and healing mm -hmm. for a broken and sick nation when we get back to that notion of these two viruses mm -hmm. is we also have to take the proper anti-racist action to mm -hmm. repair. Yes. And, and this is why, Neville, this is so beautiful with a parallel right now in the year 2020 of COVID-19 because Dr. Anthony Fauci and the other folks who talked to us about COVID-19 they are not just getting us to acknowledge that there is this virus that attacks the respiratory system. But no, after we understand that this thing exists, then we put on our mask, mm -hmm. we wash our hands, we social distance, we do the things that we must do to eradicate, to flatten, to eliminate ultimately the curb. And so if it is good enough for COVID-19, <laughs> it is more than good enough for racism. I am <laughs> so glad. And right. I'm so glad you recognize that parallel. Um, yep, absolutely. All I'll say to that is amen. I will be right back <laughs> with Dr. Sean Jones. You are on the journey. My guest is Dr. Dr. Sean Jones. He is a second year assistant professor in the counseling program in the psychology department at Virginia Commonwealth University. He also holds a Master of Health Science in Mental Health from John Hopkins University, Bloomberg School of Public Health, and a Bachelor of Science in Psychology from Duke University. Dr. Jones endeavors to impact the psychosocial well-being of black youth and their families by a exploring mechanisms undergirding culturally relevant protective and promotive factors, b translating basic research into interventions that harness the unique strengths of the black experience, and c disseminating this research to be consumed, critiqued, and enhanced by the communities the work intends to serve. 
Clinically, he is committed to the provision of culturally informed child, couple, and family therapy and assessment. And he is passionate about eliminating racial health disparities, particularly those related to mental health services, which he sees as obtainable through stigma reduction and mental health literacy interventions. To that end, he, with his colleague, Dr. Rihanna Anderson, has created a video series and podcast entitled Our Mental Health Minute. In his kindness and with that expertness, Dr. Jones is on the journey attending to mental health and healing in a time such as this. You're on the journey. The journey's platform is the journey riosports.com You will find information there on anti-racism and actions you can take to engage in working through such issues. On the journey, the conversation continues. Click on the conversation continues and you will find pastors having an uncomfortable conversation dealing with these issues. You will find Dr. Robin D'Angelo explaining in clear detail the issue of privilege and racism. You will find brilliant youths showing their resolve in light of their experiences. You will find spiritual leaders from around the world grappling together with the issue straight on and honest and much more. Visit The Conversation Continues on the journey dot riosports dot com I am back with Dr. Sean Jones Uh, Doctor, I want to go to the kids now. What would be a pattern of healthy interactions between a parent and a child if that child is showing uh, extreme stress or just stress, period, after experiencing or witnessing acts of racism? Yeah, no, I I appreciate that question as well. And so this is definitely something that is, is near and dear to my heart as someone who sees myself as a, as a child uh, and family psychologist. And I, I, I think about this often because it is one of the very sad realities and harsh realities of this thing around racism, right? And so it is not enough that we have to or that individuals have to experience or be exposed to racism as adults. Uh, But now we have to decide uh, how do we talk to children or how do we shield children or can we even shield children from the nefariousness of racism that they might experience? How do we help to, to protect them in that instance? And, and so I, I I am uh, someone who is a intermediate social media user, and and this morning, as I was getting ready for my day, I thought about a poem by Langston Hughes, which is titled "Mother to Son," and in that particular poem comes a common refrain that I at least heard a lot growing up: this idea that you know it, it's a mother's thing. Son, life for me ain't been no crystal stair. Mm. There's been a lot of harshness and nails and places where the rug is pulled up and I keep climbing and I keep running and I keep reaching, but sometimes it's dark and sometimes it's light. And that poem to me, which I shared today, uh, was really emblematic of part of the work that we are asking parents to do for children is that how do we explain to children that, hey, because of 
something you can't control. <laughs> the color of your skin, uh, the, the kinks in your hair, there may be folks who look at you as less than. You may get called names. You may have people think that the color of your skin is actually mud and that you just need to take a shower, which sometimes kids, when they're first coming across understanding skin tone differences, might say mm-hmm. innocently enough, right? Mm-hmm. But how do we begin to help our children understand Right and protect them in advance that they may experience these things. And so, and so, for me, what a healthy interaction or a healthy exchange looks like is it looks like parents using developmentally appropriate language mm-hmm. to talk to their children about the realities of what's going on. Uh, one of my best friends lives in Chicago, and they walked past some of the protests and I was so proud to hear how that exchange went because, you know, it it wasn't a discussion of trying to explain fully all of the tenets of a a certain movement or certain groups that were out there, but it said, Hey, there are folks who are upset because, you know, something bad happened to people that wasn't right. And it happened to people because of the color of their skin. And so these folks are really passionate or they really want to make sure that the next time the right things are done. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That is, it's, it's maybe sounds simple to us, but can be so powerful to equipping children with starting to have an appreciation and understanding for the things that are going on and around them. And, and the reason why that's so vital, and then I'll take a breath to see if there's a follow up to this. Mm-hmm. that you might have is that we know right uh we know that at early ages children begin to recognize and and look more at faces that look different knowing meaning that they can understand very early on the difference between um different skin tones mm-hmm. right they begin to by by kindergarten folks are being able to to have a notion of us and them, mm-hmm. right? Folks mm-hmm. are able to, un- little children are able to understand their role and what does it mean to be black or to be white or be to be uh, Latinx, right? And so the, what that means is that silence is certainly never going to be the answer because children being curious by nature are, are already seeing these differences mm-hmm. and as they are beginning to be increasingly able to, are going after experiences to better understand and make sense of them. So I always try to empower parents that even if it feels like you don't know all the right things to say, mm-hmm. it's better to even say that than to just be silent about the issues because children actually notice a lot and they can carry a lot of that, again, without maybe necessarily having all of the coping resources that we as adults may have been able to gather over the years. So, Doc, I'm going to, <clears throat> yeah, so you give me the permission, I'm going to present to you a, a real case. This really, of course, I'm aware that happened. So what does a parent do? So an eight-year-old comes to a parent in tears with just one simple mm-hmm. question. Why was I born black? How do mm-hmm. you respond? <sighs> wow, that's, that's, that's deep. So, and you said eight years old, right? Eight, yes, exactly. Okay, so an eight-year-old comes to their parents and they ask the question of why was I born black? Wow. So, (laughs) if if I were in that particular position, uh, if I were in that scenario, I would say for that parent, you know, to speak to... The reality, right? So people, uh, all, all sorts of people, right, across this world are born um, in, you know, different colors, different skin tones, different racial groups, which eight-year-olds may or may not fully get the full hang of that, right? Mm-hmm. But the idea being, right, that your your skin tone, your hair, your nose, your facial features, all of these things are wonderful. They're beautiful, um, of really affirming, really pouring positivity into the notion of 
being black? Because to me, Neville, the question, why was I born black? And tears with that question, to me, would signify that already, right? And this is why this is so important. Already we see a child who may have already began to internalize some sort of notion of blackness as being a bad thing, Mm -hmm. as being an ugly thing, as being a less than thing. And so it is so vital that parents counter that ugly and misinformed narrative to affirm the beauty, the wholeness, the, you know, not the superiority, but the just as good as Mm-hmm. Uh, nature of of blackness and of one one's blackness. So I would encourage uh, an individual to kind of share that notion that there are people who exist along a, a number of different racial or color spectrums. Um, you know, for whatever reason, your parents are this, and so you're also this. That's how that works. Mm-hmm. And also just talking about all of the wonderful things that it may mean to be born black or to be black that's that would be my pissy kind of answer to that <laughs> all right now now parents who have these kinds of things is there a particular place they could go for resources to learn or or it's just a you do you have any input about that parents who are suddenly caught with questions like that or even aware that they will be uh one day trapped with questions like that is there a place that they could go to um edify themselves Sure, absolutely. That's a great question. So, thankfully, you know, if you had, if you were asking me this mm, ten years ago, I might struggle a little bit more with answering your question. But there has been a really good boom and resources that help parents, and importantly, all parents under the sound of my voice, even if you are not um, black or a, a person of color, there are a lot of resources on how to have these conversations. With their children, and let me just before I finish answering your question, I will let me just say, Dr. Jones's opinion is that it is important that all parents talk to their children about race and racial differences and uh, mistreatment because it is not sufficient, right? Again, if we think about this as a disease, right? we think about notions of herd immunity. We need a sufficient number of individuals, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. to be immunized in order for it to make a difference. And so if it's only the marginalized or the black and brown parents and children who are having these conversations mm-hmm. and none of the, our, our white parents or parents of, of other backgrounds are having these conversations with their children, then this this notion of racism is is also not going to move along. So I want to say that. With regard to specific tangible ways to do that, one great resource that I had an opportunity to be a part of is through the American Psychological Association. Mm -hmm. They have something known as uh, the, it's called resilience, so it's spelled like the word resilience. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you type in APA resilience on any sort of uh, internet search platform mm-hmm. you can find a host of books of uh, webinars of videos that parents and, and it's broken down by developmental age mm-hmm. so that parents can say okay if i have a six-year-old or a 16 year old here are some books that we can read together here are some videos or cartoons that we can watch together to broach these topics and so i would suggest that as just being a really good landing page for a bunch of resources that parents can really sift through and think, hey, does this work for my family, for my household, and then use those accordingly. Awesome. Awesome. We'd be right back again with Dr. Sean Jones with one more question. You are on the journey. My guest is Dr. Sean Jones. The journey's platform is The Journey dot riosports.com riosports is spelt r-y-o-s-p-o-r-t-s the journey dot riosports.com we will place a link to the american psychological association's 
Building Your Resistance. We will provide that link on the segment entitled The Conversation Continues, as well as on the segment entitled Modern Families. You're certainly always welcome to join us on the journey. The journey dot riosports dot com I am back with Dr. Sean Jones. Doc, uh, do you have any recommended healthy routines for adults that would preserve or make us more mentally strong? Yeah, and then, so is that just generally speaking, or in 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 light of kind of current the current happenings? I want to make sure I'm answering that. Yeah, in light of the current happenings, uh, uh, right right now, you you actually made me think. You know what we should be doing all the time, but <laughs> what we're facing now is not going to go away tomorrow. <laughs> in my mind, so. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, so, you know, I I would think, I think in response to that, I would say a couple of things. So one thing, you know, and I've talked with countless number of folks over the last couple of weeks about this, is that oftentimes, Neville, when we feel, we're taught that there are certain emotions that they're okay to feel, and certain emotions that are less okay to feel. And that is not, you know, as you said, healthy. That is that is not a pathway to health. And so one of the first things that I want to encourage adults, and this actually applies to, to youth as well, but mm-hmm. to adults is that we, again, we're in the midst of a number of different uh, tragic uh, moments right now in our in our history. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in, in the history of, of this nation, of this of this broader global context. And so if you feel angry, if you feel sad, if you feel distraught, if you feel hopeless, helpless, any of those emotions, all of those things are valid. And so it is important to, in order to, to, to heal, we, have, we can't heal what we don't acknowledge, right? And so it's important to first and foremost recognize and hold space to say, hey, you know, I'm angry about this, and that's okay, or I'm really scared because I don't know what's going to happen outside my door, or I don't know what's going to happen even when this country or another country, when it opens back up. I don't know what the new normal is going to look like. I don't know what, uh, I'm I'm scared about those things. It's important to be able to really speak truthfully about how we're feeling about things, so I think that's one one thing that's really important. Uh, I've said this again, you know, I've said this before, and so I'll say it again, right, which is making sure that we have, I always like to talk about this, and this may, you know, uh, resonate because I work with, with kiddos a lot, but I often talk about a knapsack or a backpack or a toolkit or whatever is appropriate of coping, right? And so... Sometimes in the same way, right, these are very complicated times that we're living through. Mm-hmm. And so they require us having a repertoire or multiple ways in which we get released, get, get stress off of us, right? And so, it's, you know, some, some of us run into trouble when we have a limited number of coping resources. And then when we're not able to activate those, we're not able to do that one thing that we always go to, then we find ourselves distressed or distraught. And so I would encourage folks to continue to build up a number of healthy coping skills, right? Try out new new coping skills. I, I literally uh, have this thing on my, on my wall in my office that says like 50 ways to cope, 50 ways to take a break. And the reason why I have that up there is also a reminder to myself that there are, whether it's a belly laugh or yoga or watching a funny TV series or coloring, like there are, or tr- baking bread, right? Um, whatever it is, there are so many different ways that we can try new things to, to alleviate the stressors and strains that we may be feeling. So, uh, again, acknowledge our emotion, right? Have a variety of coping skills at our disposal. The other thing that I would say 
is, and this is particularly, I think, relevant in this day and age, is knowing when to unplug. And I mean that literally, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. One of the things that we unfortunately don't have, uh, we have some understanding of in, in the psychological literature, but there, there's still more to be done. It's really understanding the impact of this new age of social media and 24-hour news cycles and this idea that we are constantly able to consume information, but not all of that information serves our mental health well. Some of it really uh, arouses fear and, again, further angers us and further makes us anxious. And so one thing that I would encourage adults out there is to kind of check in, be have a good sense of self-monitoring, as we call it, or being kind of your own barometer for saying, hey, you know what, I notice when I sit on Instagram or I'm scrolling on Twitter all day, I feel really heavy, and it's hard for me to go to sleep. And I don't get up and do, you know, that jaw exercise, Um, right? And noticing that that there are certain things where we may need to step away for our own mental well-being and not continue to expose ourselves incessantly. So those would be three of the things that I would suggest uh, for kind of healthier well-being uh, with regard to, to mental health during this time. And I think they're awesome. I'm making notes as you speak. Uh, doctor, I am so glad that you were willing to come onto our show. I know that uh, we called you at the very last minute and you made yourself available to us. And I wanted the audience to know that. Thank you so very very much. Absolutely. It is, it is absolutely my my honor. I, I'm so grateful that you have this platform and that you elevate these sorts of topics. So I also want to extend my gratitude to you and support you to keep keep doing what you're doing. This is great. Thank you so much. Thank you. The Journey is available free on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Rio Sports Radio, and several of your favorite internet platforms. Download, embed, and share via any of the social media you love. Ah, what a magnificent example in the light of it all. You are so strong. You are so resilient. You are. A masterpiece. See you next week.